Welcome, everyone interested in this ancient text called the Bible. You have found the Dumb Christian Podcast. I am your host, Jonathan the Dumb Christian, and today we are going to dive into one of the most disturbing stories in the Bible, when God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son. Yeah, but then the events that follow this little excursion are actually going to reveal some things lost to legend, which will be very interesting as we explore not just the Bible, but some Jewish texts and some resources, some traditions surrounding the stories in the Bible. It is about to get very real. We are going to get colorful. I can guarantee you that today. Uh, So buckle up and welcome to Dumb Christian. Genesis chapters 22 and 23 start with this phrase, some time later. Midrash tells us that Isaac at the beginning of chapter 22 here is 37 years old, and this is going to match with uh, Genesis chapter 23, which tells us that Sarah is 127 years old, 37 years after she gave birth to Isaac. And for... 20, maybe 30 years now, Abraham, his family, and his tribe have been living in peace. Um, They haven't had to sojourn. They haven't had to travel. They haven't been hit by another famine. Hagar is gone, so Sarah's not all up in arms about feeling made fun of or mocked by Hagar. She's not worried about Ishmael bullying Isaac. That dynamic has shifted, and they're living in relative peace. They've got about 30 years of of just enjoying the good gift of of God providing them with wealth, a home, a settlement, a growing family. And they've really enjoyed this season that they're in. And one morning, Abraham wakes up, steps out of the tent, big yawn as the sun is rising, takes a deep breath of the fresh morning air. And as he's exhaling in pleasure, he hears a voice, Abraham, Uh, yeah? And it's a voice he probably hasn't heard for almost 40 years. And it takes him a second to recognize, oh, that's the voice of the Lord. Now, Scripture uses this phrase, the angel of the Lord, which can mean angel or messenger. There's some speculation. Is it an actual angel or is it God just kind of like as an apparition revealing? Um, But we're going to go with it is an angel. Uh, The Jewish tradition does say that every person is assigned an angel, even God. And so for the sake of the story, we'll just go with that, that this is God's angel, his messenger. We don't know his name. Maybe it's just the angel of the Lord. But he speaks up, Abraham. Oh, God, what's up? It's been a long time. What have you been up to, man? And the angel says, uh, I want you. By the way, this is God speaking. I'm not speaking on my own accord. God wants you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him. Treat him like you would a sacrificial lamb where you put him on a pile of wood, slit his throat, drain his blood and burn the body. Excuse me, what? Come again? Um, if that doesn't make you say, what the f***? I don't know what will. This really should be something I, I think that all of us ought to wrestle with. Um, you know, especially for believers. Like, it's good to wrestle. Really press in. What's going on here? Why would God want Abraham to sacrifice his only son. 
But the Midrash and tradition tells us that Abraham doesn't put up a fight. He doesn't try and bargain. We know that he's got no problem with bargaining with God because he talks God down from 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah down to 10. So he's got no issue there. But the 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 sages tell us that he was so intrinsic, intrinsically trusting of God that as soon as God said to do something, he didn't even second guess it. He said, okay. Let's go. So he packs up just the things that he needs to make a sacrifice. And God doesn't tell him where he's going to make this sacrifice. He just says, go, I'll tell you where when you get there. This sounds an awful lot like when he called him to leave Ur. So there is a uh, a resemblance of what of the way that God has spoken to him before. So, okay, yeah, this could be God. Let's see. So he tests it and he packs up his things and he gets the kindling. And then he gets the larger sticks that are going to keep the fire going. And then he also cuts and packs up the large pieces of wood that you stack to make a burnable altar. Like, it's a big thing. This requires a lot of wood. It's not just like, you know, throw a few sticks on there and you burn it up. So it's a lot more than he can take himself. And Isaac is on this journey too. But we also see that some servants are going on this little excursion with Abraham and Isaac. And Abraham collects all the wood, he gets the sacrificial knife that's used to kill the sacrifice, and his little flint stone that he can make some sparks to start the fire. But before they leave camp, the servants and Isaac are kind of looking around and they think, well, we have everything to make a sacrifice except the sacrifice itself. What's happening here? And as their wheels start to turn, something triggers inside Isaac. And one of the servants who are following the crew out of the campground. And they both realize at the same time, oh, Isaac is the sacrifice. Now, as you read this, and I recommend going to read it, as always, Genesis 22 and 23, you're going to discover that some of the details I add aren't necessarily in the Bible. I'm including some extra biblical, some Jewish tradition and some stuff found in the Midrash, extra Jewish writings that kind of elaborate on the story. So if you don't see it, that's why I'm adding it, just because I think it might give us some good context to help us understand what's going on. Well, the servant, when he discovers this, uh, freaks out, runs back to camp. Now, Sarah isn't here. Abraham has traveled to Beersheba and he's kind of exploring, looking really for a place to settle down and say, okay, this is our final move. It's the, where we're going to spend the rest of our lives. We're going to retire here. And, and, and the tradition tells us that he, he likes Beersheba. So ultimately he wants to move to Beersheba, finally settle down and permanently establish his residence there. But Sarah is still back in Hebron. Um, while he's looking for that final resting place. Well, the servant who makes this realization freaks out, runs all the way to Hebron, which is a ways away, like a day or two away, tells Sarah, Abraham has lost his mind and he's going to sacrifice Isaac. Now, Abraham deliberately didn't tell Sarah because he didn't want her to think he had gone insane. It had been almost 40 years since they had actually heard a word from the Lord according to what we read in the Bible. And so, you know, why would God speak to them, especially because they're living in peace now? They're happy. They aren't dealing with famines and other kings who are trying to steal Sarah for their own pleasures right? They've actually had a season of prosperity and joy and hope and peace. And, and there's kind of this sense like, okay, 
Are you going to trust God even when everything seems to be going just right? Because it's easy to cry out to God when you're in the middle of a war, when you're suffering the loss, when there's turmoil in the family, right? But when everything is going great, uh, maybe it's not so easy to trust in God. Maybe it's not the first thing on our radar. Anyway, so he didn't want Sarah to know. The servant makes it to Sarah and the servant tells Sarah. And the tradition tells us that as soon as Sarah heard this, uh, she she kind of lost it. She's 127 years old at this point. She's old. She's frail. Look, she has unquestioningly followed Abraham all out of her hometown, left all of her friends, sojourned, traveled up and down the land of Canaan, gone through different kingdoms where men tried to take her to be their wife, her, take her to be their wife. Yeah. And I mean, she has gone, jumped through countless hoops to follow Abraham. And, and the, the idea is that this last thing is just too much and she couldn't bear it. And she falls extremely ill and, and her nerves and her anxiety like overtake her. And it makes me think of if you've ever seen like the uh, 90s Pride and Prejudice on the BBC. Oh, you don't know what my nerves suffer. But uh, I think Sarah probably had a legitimate excuse to be so frantic. Anyway, um, so she falls ill and she's in really bad shape while this is happening. But it's kind of a separate story. Now, Abraham and Isaac and the servants are on their way to to, the, to make the sacrifice. And they realize we have everything for the sacrifice except for the sacrifice. And the moment before Isaac realizes it's him, he asks his dad, you know, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrificial lamb? And Abraham says, God himself will provide the sacrifice. Again, this is one of those like phrases that I've heard innumerable sermons on and people trying to like turn into a moral and, and new Testament actually does talk about, um, that it is a picture of God providing Jesus as the sacrifice because Isaac was provided right. Um, before God intervened, snapped with the infinity gauntlet so that Sarah could conceive and have children, they had no kids. And so it was through God's provision of Isaac that God provided maybe the sacrifice. And maybe that's what he's referring to. I don't know. Um, either way, that's the moment where Isaac realizes, oh, I'm the sacrifice. The New Testament also tells us that Abraham had this idea in his head that God could resurrect Isaac. And up to this point in the Bible, we've never seen or heard of anyone being resurrected. So it's a little interesting to think that Abraham believed that without even knowing what that concept was. There was nothing that had ever, it was unprecedented. What's resurrection? But he believed that God could do it. And so he said, I'm going to trust God because he probably heard this like promise to God that God made. And, and when Sarah laughed, right, when God's like, you're going to have a kid. And he, God said, is anything too hard for God? So Abraham's just like, okay, he promised me this is going to be my kid. I'm going to have a ton of offspring through him. So I don't know how it's going to work as per usual, but I trust God. They finally get to the mountain of the Lord. We don't know where this is. 
like maybe it's like the angel of the Lord, like that's just its name. And um, there is some speculation as to which mountain it was, but ultimately the Bible really doesn't tell us. It just says the mountain of the Lord. And they leave the servants. They say, okay, we just need to go a little bit further. I don't, you know, maybe the angel of the Lord says, you have reached your destination. And um, they take the bundles of wood, both Abraham and Isaac take everything. And they go a little bit further down the road, over the hill, out of sight. And um, they reach this perfect place, this incredible view, this mountain view overlooking the land of Canaan, the promise that God had made him. And he says to his son, Isaac, I think this is the spot. Are you ready? Isaac breathes in deep, reconciles himself to what's in front of him. And he says, okay, I'm ready. And they set up the kindling, they set up the larger wood, and then they set up the large planks of wood to build the altar. And then it says that he, Abraham bound Isaac. Why does Isaac need to be bound if he's, doing, if he's participating willingly? Well, it's just like that guy who tries to get views on TikTok and goes through the theme park asking people to kick him in the nuts. And he still like flinches, right? Like there's still self-preservation in built within us. And so... Uh, for whatever reason, Isaac gets bound and he positions himself on the top of the wooden altar, presents his hands to be bound, lets his father bind his legs. And he lays there, takes one last deep breath and lays his head back on the logs. Abraham reaches. I can't imagine what he's thinking or feeling. He's terrified to cause his own son pain to be the cause of death for his son and yet he wants to obey and trust god who has taken care of him every step of the way i mean there's a lot of got to be a lot of conflict going on in his heart and he takes the knife and he puts it to isaac's throat this is the point in the story where we say what the wtf why in the world would God ask Abraham to kill his son? Not just kill his son, but use the death of his son as a sacrificial offering to God. That seems mm, messed up AF, right? I, like, I can't even in, wrap my head around. If you read in the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament, like you have a bigger, broader picture and maybe you can wrap your head around what's going on. The New Testament tells us that it is a picture for believers to understand and give them like a foreshadow view that this is what God the Father is doing when he sends God the Son to die on the cross um, as a kind of like to taking upon himself the consequences of sin but to act as a salvation for all mankind and by the shedding of his blood to institute a new covenant. Like that's kind of the picture that God is communicating here. Maybe like that's a little bit of, we can read that in the new Testament, but sometimes that's not necessarily enough to alleviate the concern and the frustration that comes with someone reading this story and really trying to wonder how can God be good and ask an obedient servant of his to do this really jacked up thing. And I'll be honest, 
it it might be easier for a believer who has spent their life wrestling with God's goodness in their own life, looking at Jesus on the cross as salvation and an understanding that maybe this kind of like can be interpreted and and understood in a, a reasonable manner. Uh, but to try and just explain it in words in a way that makes sense, I, I don't know that it's possible. And, and I know that sounds kind of like a cop-out answer, but I, I really think that sometimes the only way to really understand why God does the things that he does is to let him be God for a while and, and through that process to reveal himself in good ways, even in bad situations, confusing situations. I, look, I don't, I don't have an answer. I, I'm just telling you what's going on in the Bible and acknowledging that this is one screwed up situation. In the end, ultimately it points us to Jesus. So I guess let's leave it there. But the moment before Abraham takes the knife and slits Isaac's throat, the angel of the Lord shouts, Stop, Abraham! Don't do it! Because you have not withheld your son, I don't actually want you to kill him, but because you were willing to go through the whole process of sacrificing your son and offering him up as a burnt offering. You have not withheld anything from God. You have trusted God fully. Now God is going to multiply his blessings because you are definitely the guy he wants to use to raise up a nation in this world that will make way for a Messiah who will come to save the world. Jesus. I just wanted to see if you were willing. I want to take a second to just kind of like let this awkwardness and uncomfortableness ruminate. Um, I I think too often we just kind of gloss over like, yeah, that was weird, but there's this better plan, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but it's fair for us to acknowledge and, and make room for the question, wait, God just wanted to see if he'd be willing. Was God messing with him? Is he just like toying with him? Is he screwing with him? Like what's, what's really going on here? Why would God do this? And this phrase that keeps coming up, especially for this is the the idea. I wanted to see if you were willing to give it all up to the Lord. And I've heard, uh, you know, many people say, oh, God wouldn't ask you. He wouldn't really make you do something so devastating, so difficult in your life that it feels like you're giving up everything. He just wants to know if you'd be willing to. But the problem is being willing to isn't just like this thought you have while you're sitting in the comfort of your living room, binge watching Netflix, eating Cheez-Its. Oh, yeah, I'd be willing to give everything up for God. But it's literally laying everything on the line and and giving everything up to God. And I don't like using this picture, this illustration, as a way to justify the phrase, God won't have you do it. He just wants to know if you're willing. Because ultimately, if you're willing, you'll do it. Right? And this is that picture that he's... I mean, Abraham was there. He was ready. He was about to do it. 
He wasn't going to hold anything back. And uh, that's really, I think, the essence of what the author here is trying to convey, that it's not just this thought, but it is, I believe God, I trust God, so I will lay everything on the line. And this is one of the reasons why Abraham is considered one of like the pictures of faithfulness to trust in God. Anyway, so uh, they're overjoyed. Uh, Abraham cuts the the ropes off of Isaac. They embrace, they hug, they worship. Oh, thank God we don't have to go through with this. And while they're hugging and embracing, they hear a noise off behind them in the distance. And it's a ram whose horns are caught in a bush. And it's almost as if God indeed did provide a sacrifice Hmm, because they took this ram, sacrificed it on the wood altar, burnt it. And the servants off in the distance see the smoke rising and they're thinking to themselves, what did we let him do? Did we just let him kill and burn his son? Oh man, we are terrible servants of Abraham. I can't believe we let him do that. The smoke fades as the fire finishes up and then two figures begin to return to the servants and they must be thinking, what? Wait, oh, thank God. They're both of them are coming back. And um, they are not really sure. They're like, Abraham, we're so glad to see both of you. This is going to sound crazy, but we thought you were going to sacrifice your son. <laughs> and Abraham and Isaac just like look at each other like, uh, no, but uh, we did in fact find a ram that we sacrificed. So it's all good. Don't even worry about it. They collect all their stuff. They head back to the campgrounds in Beersheba. And um, Abraham says, okay, now that we have passed the final test, and I really like this this land in Beersheba, we're going to set up here as our permanent final residence. And he says to the servants, go tell Sarah, pack up all her stuff and bring her to live here. They go back and they tell her, Abraham is back. He's calling you to Beersheba. She says, what about Isaac? Because remember, she heard that he was going to be sacrificed and she became really ill and weak because of this. Well, when the servants say, oh, Isaac is well and alive. He's healthy. He returned with Abraham and we're going to take you to go see him now. Midrash tells us, I don't remember, maybe it's not the Midrash, but the Jewish tradition says, Because she was in such bad shape, she was so weak and frail that when she heard her son was alive and well, the shock of the joy she had experienced in that moment killed her. It put her over the edge. Her body just couldn't take it. And she dies right then and there. Abraham hears. And and I think there's got to be this like turmoil that's building in him. Like, okay, we just walked through this thing with Isaac. We didn't have to suffer his death, but now I have to suffer the death of my wife, Sarah. We've been married for a hundred years or so. And, and it's like, I thought, I thought we were done with the suffering. Anybody ever like walk through that where you're like, I thought I was done with the suffering. So he goes back to Hebron, which is where Sarah is. And, We don't know when Abraham stumbled upon this cave, a cave called Machpelah, which in Hebrew means double. And the reason it's called the double cave, oh, like our double chair, oh, that's fun, um, is because four couples are buried in this cave. 
Now, legend says that while Abraham and Sarah were sojourning, traveling up and down the land of Canaan, just randomly, accidentally, Abraham stumbled upon this little cave. There was a a beam of light shooting out of the cave of Machpelah. And he said, well, that's curious. I want to go see what that's all about. So he goes, and as he gets closer, he sees this very small opening, big enough for him to squeeze into, and he works his way into the cave. It's a very small area, and he he goes, puts his face up in this small hole where this beam of light is coming out, and as he looks through, he can see the Garden of Eden. The legend is that once Adam and Eve were banished, the flood arrives, and it hides the Garden of Eden. It's buried, it's it's protected, and it's covered, it's hidden. And Abraham, by divine revelation, discovers the cave, the entrance to the Garden of Eden. It's still guarded by an angel and a flaming sword, so it's not like you can access it, but he can peer in and see it. Wow. And as he kind of like takes a step back, he notices that there's two skeletons, two sets of bones in the cave already. And legend tells us that those are the bones of Adam and Eve. That Adam, after all the stuff, had he had found the, the cave entrance and he had set up the, the as a burial ground for his wife and himself that cave, the entrance to the Garden of Eden. And it had been lost and hidden until Abraham found it. So Abraham goes to the Hittites who own the land, and he says, I'm going to pay full price for this massive acreage surrounding the cave because he doesn't want anybody to come back later and argue, dispute. They they actually offer this. Oh, you can just have it. You can have it. He's like, no, no, no. I'm going to pay full price for this because I'm not going to deal with later someone claiming that it belongs to them or that it wasn't actually a gift or it was a temporary, you know, whatever, whatever. I'm going to pay for it full price. I'm going to own it. And this is going to be the burial site for me and my descendants. And we see four couples buried in there, Adam and Eve, according to legend, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca, and Jacob and Leah, his first wife, the patriarchs and the matriarchs, um, except for Rachel is buried somewhere else. But that's Machpelah double because four couples have been buried in this cave at the entrance to the Garden of Eden. But it has been since blocked off. It's actually a very uh, hot tourist attraction now. They have like um, walls and a big building built around it where you can visit. Uh, But you can't see into the Garden of Eden anymore for whatever reason. I don't really get how it works. Like I said, this is the legend of the cave of Machpelah. And that is Genesis chapters 22 and 23 as we walk through this really WTF moment and discover the entrance to the Garden of Eden. I've been your host, Jonathan the Dumb Christian. I love you guys. I'll catch you later. All right, so there's a lot of extra stuff in that one. Who knows if any of it's true, but we certainly try to discover what the Bible means when it's telling us these stories. Uh, Be sure to check us out on YouTube, Dumb Christian Podcast. We do have some exclusive content up there. Hit subscribe, like, ring the bell so you know what's coming out down the line, and I will catch you guys later. I love you guys. (laughs) 